Amen. Um, I love it that uh, Will thinks that I'm kind of braver than him on taking on uh, the portion that we read earlier on. I've got to just let you out of your, uh, let you into a little secret that we won't be doing the whole passage uh, this evening. We won't be covering all of it, uh, only, <laughs> only a, a short part at the beginning. But um, the, the book of Romans um, is one of these things that I was brought up um, in my early years in the Brethren Church um, and all of the rest of my family remain in the Brethren at the moment. And the book of Romans was one of these books um, that was always preached on um, in some of the places that you went. Every Sunday night um, we would have a visiting speaker that would come to the church and uh, we'd begin to preach uh, on uh, something and it was highly likely that somehow it was going to be the book of Romans. And you'll probably discover before we're finished that I didn't listen to very much of it. <laughs> um, because as a young lad, um, I was looking at the clock most of the time thinking it's about time we were going home. Um, but anyway, the book of Romans, um, written by the Apostle Paul, and uh, he, he plans to, to travel uh, through uh, there on his way to Spain, um, but... Um, uh, we'll discover later what happens with regard to that. Um, he, he's preaching to Gentiles and Jews together um, and uh, basically Christians in Rome that uh, he um, is speaking to or writing to. And uh, we're going to discover uh, a little bit about that. And it's quite a challenging portion of Scripture to look at. Um, and I'm sure there are others who are way far more educated and qualified than I am to cover it, but uh, we're going to look at it and see what God has to say to us this evening. There's a theme verse, I suppose, for the whole of Romans, um, which is in the first chapter in verse 16 and 17, uh, really. It says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it, the gospel, is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written. But the righteous man shall live by faith. And so um, the gospel is a powerful element. As we, as we preach the gospel, as we hear the gospel, something ha takes place in us. And all of us who are believers who are in the building this evening... Um, have heard the gospel, and the gospel has had an effect on our lives. Uh, here it's called the power of God. that brings us uh, to salvation as we believe what God has to say. And so we're going to look at some of these verses uh, this evening and uh, ask God to, to speak to us in it. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, again, we give you thanks for your grace and your favor. We thank you for your word which is powerful and effective and is useful to us in every area and dimension of our lives. And we ask you, O oh God, that you would use this portion of Scripture to speak uh, to us this evening, that we might hear from you. Be with us now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, looking at uh, verse 1 uh, of Romans 12, it says there, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy 
and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And again, there are various translations of uh, these words at the end there. Um, so what we've got to ask ourselves is that he, he begins uh, that chapter by using the word therefore. And of course, the old adage is that you've got to ask yourself the question, well, what is it therefore? Uh, and it's really there to describe to us or to alert us to the fact that there's previous information that's gone ahead. Uh, because we've started here, it was always a dangerous thing to do, uh, right in the middle of a book. Um, and there's lots of uh, information that's come to us pr- prior to this. And so previously, Paul is referring to his desire to see Israel saved. So the book of Romans is talking about that. It's trying to, to bring uh, information, bring uh, the revelation of Christ to, uh, to Israel and to see them saved. But um, in addition to that, Paul is also speaking to the Roman church. And he, he says, generally speaking, three things to the church. The first thing that he says is that Jesus reconciles us to God. And as we accept unreservedly his sacrifice on the cross as payment for our sins, then this is the only way to be brought back into right relationship with God. Uh, Hebrews 10 talks about a new and living way that's been made for us uh, to come uh, into God's presence and to be reconciled with him again. So that's the first thing. He wants to see God's people, or he wants to see people reconciled to God. Then he says that God's Spirit uh, makes us sons of God. Uh, We're no longer mere servants of God, um, although we do remain servants as as long as we live, but we've been called to be sons and daughters of the living God. Galatians 4 Uh, Verses 1 to 7 has reference to that. And verses 4 and 5 say this, But when when the set time had fully come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption of sonship. And so we have been uh, elevated uh, by the Spirit of God into being sons and daughters of the living God. And the third thing that comes prior to the verses that we've read at the beginning of Romans 12 is this, that the salvation that we have been given actually glorifies God. And uh, Ligonier uh, puts it this way. Isaiah 42, 8 tells us that God will share his inherent divine glory with no creature and we have seen that his refusal, refusal to share his glory is particularly evident in his work of salvation. The context of Isaiah 42, 8 makes that clear. For verses 1 to 7 speak of God's work of redemption, his freeing of captives, and his giving sight to the spiritually blind. God alone will receive his glory in our salvation. For salvation is a manifestation of his glory, his omnipotence, his mercy, his love, and his holiness are in a sense all summed up in his glory. And all of these attributes are on display 
in his work of salvation. And so, as people come to Christ, it brings glory to God. It's not about ourselves. It's not about the person who witnessed to us. It's about bringing glory uh, to God himself. And if you read the, the story of the, the lost sheep and so on in Luke chapter 15, you'll find out it says there that I tell you in the same way there will be much rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. And so there's a glory given to God that angels begin to rejoice at the salvation of even one sinner who repents. And that's a wonderful thing. It brings glory to God. And so there is um, an interesting uh, addition to that when, when he comes and he says, therefore, in the light of all of that, all of that's gone before in the book of Romans so far, he says, therefore, in the light of all of that, I urge you. Um, he, Paul is encouraging uh, these people. I urge you. He, he, he wants to persuade them, uh, persistently kind of encourage them, uh, earnestly tell them that there is more uh, that they need to be involved in, that they need to serve the living God. There's a kind of insistence that he has uh, in, in, in the mind of the apostle that uh, the church needs to listen and needs to act. Um, we, we all like to listen. Um, we can hear good preachers and we want to listen, but the acting part of it is something that often eludes us a little bit. And so there is an importance of doing both listening and acting, and that's what uh, the apostle Paul is encouraging uh, the people to do is to listen to God's word, to hear it, and to move forward in it. It's not a command in the same way that we might be commanded by a prophet of the Old Testament. It's a, an encouragement. It's an, an urging. Um, the, the, he wants the, 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 the people to, to catch on to what is being said um, and to take it of their own accord and respond to God's word. Um, and I think that's important for us to hear that um, we are not commanded to, to um, give our lives in this way. We are encouraged to get on board and to connect with what God is saying to us and be obedient to him uh, in it. And so he's not lording over them as uh, the world might do. He's encouraging them strongly to give themselves wholly to God. He calls them brothers and sisters. And so um, this is not a gospel outreach sermon. This is a, a sermon for the church. This is a, a message to God's people. It's a message that will um, bring a, 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 a push or, a, or a, an encouragement to them to be involved in God's purposes for their lives. And so he says... In view of God's mercy, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, I'm urging you. And when we look at the cross uh, of Christ, we can see God's mercy on display on our behalf. And so that backdrop um, of the cross of Christ is what sets out the picture of God's people being involved. 
in view of God's mercy, as we can see the cross of Christ ahead of us, we can begin to acknowledge the fact that there is far more that um, has been given to us than we can even imagine. There's that song which we sing regularly, uh, which says, Because a sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free, for God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. That's the backdrop of the cross that is there over and in and around our lives. And so we are called to offer our bodies, to offer our bodies to Christ in this way. And uh, one of the things that's important for us to understand that Christianity is not a cult uh, where we're forced to do something. We are called here to offer. It's an offering that we're giving to God, uh, which is a remarkable thing. He's seeking uh, a devoted life, people who are prepared to give uh, for the sake of the kingdom of God uh, and for the sake of the wonderful um, uh, salvation that we have received. Now, in the Old Testament, we often find there are commands that come, but on this occasion, uh, we are called to offer our lives. And so, this is not a cultish thing at all. Someone once said this, that a cult is easy to get into and difficult to get out of. <laughs> and I think that's absolutely true. But the church somehow needs to be difficult to get into and easy to get out of. And I mean that in the best possible way. Difficult to get into in the sense that we uh, need to come through Christ and not in some other way. There is only one way to come and be part of God's church. I want to remind you of a little story. Um, it's of a church not, not a million miles from here, and you would know it if I told it to you. They were seeking new elders for the church, and I know this story because the person who was being asked was a neighbor of mine, and he told me the story. The church was seeking new elders, and they approached a local businessman who was my neighbor and asked him if he would become an elder. Now, it's a very strange way of going about finding elders in the church, but anyway, um, it, it was uh, how they went about it. And uh, this businessman, this gentleman, said to them, well, I can't, I can't become an elder, I'm sorry. And they said, well, why not? Why, why don't you want to become an elder? You're a respected member of the community. Um, you, you could easily become an elder. He says, well, I'll tell you that the main reason that I can't become an elder, he said, I'm a Muslim. <laughs> and they said, well, I'm sure that could be accommodated. And uh, such was the, the sort of misunderstanding of how, how church operates and how we become part of the church. We don't become part of the church or even... Uh, significant in the church at all um, because we are a respected member of the community. It's lovely to have people in the church who are respected members of the community, but that's not how we enter. We enter through Christ, through the blood of Christ. And so here we're being called to offer or to present our bodies as living sacrifices, he says. 
Now, the word offer or present here is one which was used when animals were presented for sacrifice on the altar. And so, certainly the Jews would understand uh, what this was meaning. And it may be that some of the Gentiles would understand as well because there were all sorts of uh, sacrifices went on um, to false gods as well uh, during that period of time. And uh, so here we are being called to give ourselves with abandonment like that, uh, give ourselves to Christ in that way. Romans 8.36 uh, is a repeat in some ways of Psalm 44, which says, As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. And that doesn't mean that the, the church has got to stand up and be cannon fodder for everything that goes on. But what it means is that we need to give ourselves, abandon ourselves, offer ourselves uh, to Christ in this way, saying, Lord, we will be to you whatever you want us to be. We will serve you in whatever way you want us to serve. And so for us as believers, we need to be reminded uh, of that. But we also need to be reminded that Romans 8 uh, earlier uh, in this book talks about there being no condemnation. It talks about the fact that, that nothing can separate us from the love of God. It talks about the fact that we are more than conquerors. It talks about the fact that if God is for us, who can be against us? And so with that in mind, we've got to understand that uh, we have to take God's direction and leading in how we do that. So we're not cannon fodder, but we are expected to walk with God in such a way that he can uh, use us in whatever way is necessary for the sake of his kingdom and for the sake of the gospel to others. And for those who know the history of the apostles uh, will know that many of them, all of them, died in uh, circumstances which were unfortunate in many ways, and yet they were the, the seed uh, for the church as it grows. And so we ought not to be surprised when trouble comes. Uh, very often the, the preaching uh, of uh, modern day kind of avoids that fact we want to kind of say that, well, um, everything's going to be good. If you come to Jesus, everything will be well. Well, there is a truth in that and the fact it's talking about eternally well. But the Scripture clearly tells us that it's not necessarily going to be well for us every day as we walk with Christ. It may be tough. It may be difficult. Um, all you need to do is turn uh, to uh, have a look at North Korea or to China uh, or to Indonesia or to some of the countries in Central, uh, Central and, and, and West Africa, um, you'll find that Christians are finding life difficult. Challenges are there. And you say, well, it's never going to come to the Western world. Well, I, I don't know that we can say that. Um, I think it's unlikely that we're all going to get out of here unscathed in terms of this world in which we live. That I don't know if you know, but churches uh, are currently being burned in Canada. That's a Western country. Um, we are uh, here challenged by these words because we know that something may well change in our own culture. And the way that this world is going, we may well be there quicker than we thought. You see, 
The, the Bible tells us that we will suffer persecution. Uh, we will have trouble in our lives. It's the norm for Christians. Jesus told us that if we, if we follow him, we will suffer persecution. And so giving ourselves in that way is abandoning ourselves to whatever he has planned for us because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to all those who believe. And this challenge is coming to believers all over the world. All over the world. I think I told you the story of our our brothers in in Malawi who were uh, arrested for preaching to um, a group of Muslim people. And the senior Muslim uh, in the group had them arrested and all of their their equipment uh, taken. And they were put in prison and fined and they couldn't get out until they paid the fine. Well, eventually they were able to pay the fine and giving glory to God, they continued to preach and that, gospel, that, that Muslim leader heard the gospel again and again and is now part of the church uh, in Malawi. And so the gospel is the power of God and we have been called to offer ourselves, to give ourselves to God for that purpose. Now, in some ways there is some clarity required because the, the sacrifice business that was going on um, there were all sorts of sacrifices went on at the time that this was written. And so I suspect that um, when the Apostle Paul is talking about living sacrifices, he's trying to uh, divert the readers or the listeners' eyes and ears away from the, the dead body sacrifices that would go on uh, at that time as well. And so he's pointing us to the fact that we've, we, we are to live. Now, in some ways, a living sacrifice is a whole lot tougher than a dead sacrifice. A dead sacrifice feels no pain. But a living sacrifice struggles and is challenged and is pained by what goes on. And so we have been called to be living sacrifices. We've been raised to new life in Christ and we expend our new life in his service. Someone put it in a little quip that said it's better to, to burn out than to rust out. And I quite like that, that there's a call for us to expend our energy, expend our time here on this earth in the purpose and service of the living God. He's called us to be holy and pleasing to him. Holy and pleasing. If you're living holy lives... It will be pleasing to God. Holy lives. And so holiness is, is, is key and central, obviously, to a Christian walk with God. Holy means to be consecrated. It means to be wholly devoted to Christ, to be, to be pure and untainted as well, to be focused in on Christ alone, seeking to see his kingdom come. And so we've, we've been called to be holy. But we've also been called to be pleasing to him. And Hebrews eleven six says this, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And so when we, when we come to Christ like this, when we walk in his ways, when we seek to live holy lives, we also want to live lives full of faith. Our service should be filled with faith. 
having faith in Christ. Now, let me just clarify that, having faith in Christ, not faith in our faith. And that's always a big challenge that many preachers today, you'll see them on TV, on various uh, religious channels, talking about how powerful their faith is and that they can do all sorts of stuff. We're not having faith in our faith. We're having faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We've come to please him by having faith in him and trusting in him and putting our life into his hands. He says, this is your true and proper worship. Interesting, isn't it, that that our worship is, is this whole abandonment to Christ alone. Now, true worship is not the kind of songs that we sing necessarily. It's part of it. But our true worship is giving ourselves uh, to God. Sometimes it's, it's uh, given rational or reasonable uh, worship. Sometimes it's called intelligent, intelligent service. Uh, various different translations of the word. But it's giving ourselves in such a way that we understand that we're not being thrown in but that we're giving ourselves, we're coming willingly to give our lives to Christ. We're not slaves as uh, the Babylonian slaves might have been, for example, but we are slaves to Christ. Matthew 11, verse 28 to 30 says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so as we give ourselves to Christ, we are, we are coming away from the, the, the brokenness and the heaviness and the darkness of this world, and we are giving ourselves to the one who calls his burden light, whose yoke is easy. It has, it has, been, it has been given to us in such a way that we can handle it, we can cope with it, because he has given it to us. We, we serve a kind, careful, and gentle master. Unlike this world that is cruel and brutal, we leave behind the, the weary, burdened life uh, and take Christ's yoke upon ourselves. We give ourselves to that work, to that service, to that uh, point of service of Christ himself. So moving on, we, we come to verse 2. It says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And so we have got a situation where we're, we're uh, putting these two words conformed and transformed beside one another. Something, someone that is conformed uh, to the ways of the world, it says here it's, uh, that they are fashioned like, um, you know, I, I don't know, some, when I was a little boy, I was, lived in the countryside and they, were, they didn't have a telly and we didn't have very much, uh, really, to be quite honest. And one of the things I did get from my dad was a knife. And I, th I thought it was the bee's knees because I had this knife and it was as sharp as a lance. And uh, I did cut my fingers a few times with it. Um, and, uh, but I learned to use this knife and I would fashion things. I wasn't all that brilliant at it, but I would take a chunk of wood and I would 
whittle away at this thing and uh, make a few toothpicks on one side. But this little item that was um, fashioned, it was changed. And uh, so here, here the Apostle Paul is saying to us that we can be fashioned by the world. We can be whittled away by the world. We can be changed by the world uh, and conformed to its likeness. And so he's saying that we need to be transformed, not conformed. We need to be transformed. So the apostle warns his readers not to follow the world's ways of life or fashions, which are false and fleeting, but to undergo a change of form which will divert us from the world's ways. And that's an ongoing process. I misunderstood salvation when I first uh, heard about it. I, I understood it to be like a magic wand that was waved over my life. And one day I would be this horrible, dirty sinner. And the next moment I would be t- totally new and changed. And everything would be working smoothly and wonderfully. Well, yes, we are changed. In an instant, we are changed to be like Christ. But Christian character is not formed overnight. And uh, even conversion is a process that takes place. We are transformed slowly to become like Christ. And many of the church activities that we see and many Christians that we see, they're indistinguishable from the world. And that's that's a frightening thing when you think about it. That we look at what we do and we have modeled it and molded it to make it look like something that young people or whatever run after in the world. And so we change our Christian worship, we change our expression of faith, etc. We change everything to make it suit people. And that means that we are being conformed by the ways of, to the ways of this world and not transformed into the likeness of Christ. We are called to be like Christ. We need to carefully consider what we are being fashioned into. Are we being fashioned into something of this world? Are we being fashioned by Christ into his likeness that we might be seen to be such? It talks about the renewing of the mind. The, the Western world's uh, mindset is set against God. James 4 Uh, says this, you you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Friendship with the world is putting ourselves at enmity with God. Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. And he goes on to say, we need to test and approve what the will of God is. Well, that, these words just mean to discern it, to, to discover it, what God's will is. Uh, Psalm 34, 8 says it will begin by taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. We begin to discern, we taste and see, we discern that God's will and purpose is good. And we put our trust and faith in him and that we take refuge in him. And then on to verse 3, and I think we'll conclude on on verse 3 this evening. It says, uh, 
For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has given, uh, God has distributed to each of you. You notice the words that are being used in there. Highlight these words, underline them if you like. Do not think of yourselves more highly than the ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has given you. There's some renewing of the mind going on just as we read these words. God is, is encouraging us. The Apostle Paul writing here is encouraging us to think differently. Do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought. That's renewing your mind. Do not th think of yourselves to be somebody uh, that you're not called to be, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has given you. And God gives us faith to be who he wants us to be. He gives us that faith. He, he, he opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And he calls us to walk with him in faith, renewing our mind uh, in what he has distributed to us, that faith he has distributed to us. And if, if there's something, uh, one thing in this modern day Christianity that kind of turns the proverbial stomach it is the, the pride and egotism displayed uh, by many Christian leaders. And, and uh, here's, a, here's a new word, you'll have heard it no doubt, influencers. <laughs> influencers. I heard that on, on TV just last night. This young 16-year-old girl said, well, I've got so many followers on whatever it was, one of these, uh, I don't know, don't ask me, um, that I'm, I'm now called an influencer. An influencer. Please don't. We need, to, we need to understand that God is, is, sees everything, every detail uh, of our lives. Influencers, yes, we, we, we may have influence, but it's a God-given influence. It's not a worldly influence that we have. It's a God-given thing. We need to put our trust and faith in him so that we can be given that at his hand and not the kind of strutting pride that we often see uh, in these situations. Paul says that it's a grace to know. It's a grace, verse, verse 3, uh, first few words in verse 3, for by the grace given me, I say to ever, every one of you, do not think of yourselves. He knows it's a grace, it's something given by God himself, how we ought to consider ourselves before the Lord. Yes, there is a place for confidence, but our confidence is not in ourselves, it's not in this world, our confidence is placed firmly in Christ. It may be in some ways just as much a sin not to have confidence because we are not putting our confidence in Christ. We need faith in him to be able to serve in humility. You see the ministry that is, is not about me. It's not about you. It's not about um, that sort of level. It's about Christ. It's about bringing praise and glory uh, to his name and not about ourselves. And there's a wonderful song uh, that, that says that. It's not about me. It's about you, Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 26 to 31 says this. 
Brothers and sisters, think of what you were before you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards, not many influential, not many of you were of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of this world. So if you've been chosen by God, there you are, you're sitting right there. God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of this world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things. And the things that are not to nullify the things that are. So that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ. Who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let no one boast. Who boasts, boast in the Lord. Sorry, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And so, this evening we've been called to to see ourselves differently. We've been called to give of ourselves differently and give ourselves over differently. And we've been called to understand who we are differently because we are in Christ. Weak, poor, lowly and yet being used by God to nullify all the so-called wonderful things of this world and so there we are we'll finish there this evening time doesn't allow me to go on any further but let's pray let's let's ask God to help us to be such let's pray together help us Lord help us Lord to yield to you and to serve you in such a way that we can become the right kind of living sacrifice. One yielded to you, given over to you, holy and acceptable to you, considering what you have done through the cross, through the gospel that has touched our lives and and transformed us Lord, that's what you have done. We can try to be good, and yet we fail. And yet, Lord, you give us faith to walk with you. And you die to make us good. You die to bring us and make us righteous before you. You died that we might become your sons and daughters. So we ask, Lord, that you be with us. Let these words of your scripture, these words of yours, be used effectively in our lives. Not only that we might be saved, but more importantly that your your name might be glorified and lifted up. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.